HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. shit welcome to life's a banquet a hilarious podcast you love it you know it it's funny it's great it's wonderful with me your host once again late stage merlin brando (laughs) and me late stage kevin cosner ah kevin hello how are you today i'm well so i found out from a friend of mine that she likes she loves what is it what is his show called yellowstone Yellowstone. and i was like didn't you hate it me? Yeah. Yeah. Me. Yeah. And then she was like, we love it. And we're watching one of the spinoffs now. And I'm like, there's spinoffs for this show? A spinoff of Yellowstone? Really? Yeah. But what is it even about? Like a dude who lives on a ranch? I feel like it's appealing to like libertarian types or something. Exactly. That's exactly <laughs> right. I also know somebody who likes Yellowstone a lot. And like, but so much. This person like doesn't talk a lot about other things that they like so much, but We'll go on and on about liking Yellowstone, and I can see them being a libertarian type. Sure. I don't know. It doesn't feel for me. It feels like um, a bunch of, like, rich whites complaining about how hard their lives are. Kind Mm. of like that movie that Kevin Costner was in. What was that? The Company Men? Yes. But Kevin Costner played a blue-collar guy in that one. Right. It's not about... Just in terms of, like, how hard it is to be rich and white. It reminds me kind of of succession but like with dungarees yeah, she sure yeah and Tommy Lee Jones being like man I have like 40 million dollars in savings I have a really hot mistress but I'm still sad because my work is my identity <laughs> right oh and the company men yes. yeah that's a that movie's not for me although there are a bunch of stars in it isn't Ben Affleck in that movie too your favorite human being on earth Ugh, yes he is and he is fine in it um he is the whiniest of all the people in the show, though. He's like, I lost my job. We'll have to get rid of our summer home, and I'm going to have to learn to work construction and become humble. Right, 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 right. Yeah, that's a very strange movie. Is there anything going on with, since we're already talking about Ben Affleck, which feels like a little early in the, in the game, but uh, any uh, Affleck-related dramas we need to be aware of this week? Well, we know that their house costs $64 million. <laughs> 
I literally just did a spit take. I just drank some coffee when you said that and spit it out. How could that be? I just think once you get to a point where you're like so rich, you probably do have trouble spending the money, you know? Um, so, but like, I always wonder, I'm like, do you actually need, they don't like, how many kids do they have? Like possibly five altogether. Um, so the most bedrooms they could possibly need would be six. (laughs) Yeah. I just like, don't like a big house. I don't think it would matter how much money I have. I don't really like the idea of being in a really big house. I know. But like if JLo and Ben had a party and like their house was just like a normal seven bedroom, two story house, everyone would be like, what the fuck? You didn't, you don't have a $64 million house. Like I think they just have to at some point just do what everyone else is doing. Yes. And you know what I find to be very interesting, folks? And this is a good lesson about your good old friend capitalism. Ben Affleck, still miserable at the Grammys, still sucking down cigarettes. So it doesn't matter if you live in a $64 million <laughs> house, can't buy happiness. Okay. I'm just going to leave that right there. Yeah. Well, maybe he found out that it's going to cost $64 million to remove his tattoo. And he's like, I can't have the house <laughs> and the tattoo removed. <laughs> a like, bacchiotomy? <laughs> yeah. In order to get my back replaced, it costs just as much as our beautiful 45-bedroom mansion. I just can't believe that this man is married to J-Lo and at this point hasn't gotten a new back. Like, he still has that same back with that same phoenix. Also, like, the Kardashians have been, like, completely replaced. Their entire bodies have been ripped off and put onto new bodies. Why can't they do that to him? Exactly. Just put his head on a better body with a better or no back tattoo, preferably. Yeah. Whichever one you can find. Wow. What a guy. Ben Affleck. Amazing. I have some exciting news to share. Mm, Tell me. As of this airing, folks, I am the subject of this week's upcoming, you guessed it, New York Magazine's Grub Street Diet. Life goal achieved. (laughs) That's cool. I always wanted to do that. But then I'd be I like, know, it's, it's I cool. just order Taco Bell. <laughs> I know, I'm like really, so uh, I'm so honored to be doing it. It's so, so fun. It's something I've always wanted to do. And it's also really funny because like, you know, especially when I'm, I mean, not especially when I'm working, right? Like as I am right now doing the pop-up, like, you know, you come home from work and like some nights I have like ketchup and mustard on a lettuce leaf. Um, that's gross. And that's, not, it is gross. It is gross. You're right. It's completely <laughs> stupid. Um, or like a tortilla chip dipped in butter, but what? nobody really wants to hear that. I don't like, want to hear that. It sounds like disordered eating, but it's like not. It's just that I'm like so exhausted by food by the time I get home and then like during the day. So anyway, this is all to say, I'm making a real effort to pop out to some of like the places that I love. Some of these things are in my regular routine anyway, but um, yeah, it's, it's really fun. And I'm like, so excited. So about you're it. saying it's going to be a lie. I'm lying about everything. <laughs> I'm talking about places I've never. So there I was at La Bernadan, where I always go every day. I want some nice fresh fish. Um, um did you read the I'm one about the guy who like just literally takes balls of chicken and puts them in a shake so he can get enough yes. protein? Yeah. <clears throat> so I feel like I'm just going to steal his. <laughs> just be honest about I don't know why you would put a tortilla chip in butter as opposed to any other condiment, but I want well, America to know about this. And now and now they will. And um speaking of tortilla chips, so as I'm like recording everything that happens related to food in my life for this week, I was on the Long Island Railroad Railroad the other day because um, I brought my car to my mom's house because I just kept getting tickets. So I took the train out there to see her. 
And I witnessed a human man eating chips and salsa out of a jar on the train. And it occurred to me that this, you know, how we always talk about what's the worst food you can eat at the beach, Mm -hmm. movie theater. This may be the worst food you can eat on a moving train. Why? Because it's so drippy and dangerous. And like, it's just like so open, like anything could fly into it. It just looked like so crazy, like delicious, right? Like no judgment about like, the value of how good that is. But I was just like, anything could happen. The train jolts and all of a sudden there's salsa everywhere. It's an open jar of tomato. Do the trains jolt that much though? I feel like it's just like being on an airplane, sort of. Do would you eat a jar of chips and salsa on a train? Yeah. Too liquidy. It like drips off. I could see like chips and guacamole. That's more sturdy. <laughs> Too slippery. Well, there's little tables, right? Or are there no tables? I don't ride there's the L I R R very often. Probably only like five no. times in my life. There's um, no tables. Mm, so um, he's just holding it balanced in his lap. Exactly. Yeah. yeah that's a little um, bit more risky. Was he wearing yeah, white it, pants? Yeah, he was wearing an all white tuxedo, actually. <laughs> and I was like, sir, you are pushing your your luck here. He's probably being filmed for a crazy TV show. Yeah. And you know, like part of me was really like, I admire so much about this man that he is not like in any way conscious about how strange this is at 930 in the morning. He's like, fuck it. I want chips and salsa for breakfast. I'm going to have that. 9 a.m.? So I like that about him. Yeah. Well, maybe I was at 9 a.m. He just ran to the bodega and didn't have time for them to make him egg and cheese. Totally. And like, we shouldn't worry about what society says we should and shouldn't eat at what time of day. I just pictured salsa everywhere but then I grabbed the crusty crusty end off a caputo seated loaf that I was bringing my mom and got like to eat some of it and got fucking crumbs everywhere there's crumbs on the seat there's crumbs on the floor and then I was like now the student becomes the teacher Mm -hmm. who am I to throw shade at someone look at what I've done look at what you've done and there's did you have a little vacuum on you did someone else had to vacuum that up yeah exactly I just made a big mess it's very embarrassing anyway that's kind of where I'm at (laughs) <laughs> and um yeah life is weird should we get into our topic for the week or do you have any other go- hot goss um I well i just started watching a show that everyone was watching like a while ago um and everyone would be like cheers you should watch this no and i would be like no i'm not going to watch it doesn't sound like my vibe the picture on like the little it's on hbo so it's like the little picture that they show you of like just like the tiny picture of the show that did not I didn't like that. <laughs> Sex in the City. And just like that. No. What was it? It's Tell us. It's called Station Eleven. Um, oh yeah. I didn't watch that either. But it's so good. It's like probably one of the best shows I've ever seen in my life. Um, oh my God. That's such a huge statement. It's really it's just really interesting. It's based on a book that I, I like it so much I'll probably read the book now. But um yeah, it's it's post-apocalyptic. I thought it was more like sci-fi based because of the name. Um, but it's not at all. It's just, it just happens to be post-apocalyptic, but, um, that's the only part of it that's sci-fi. Um, the rest of it is just more like human interaction based, but it's really, really nice. And Mackenzie Davis, who is the star, is an actor that I like kind of have not really, I'm learning to love her for some reason. The couple of stuff I saw her and when she was sort of becoming big, I did not like her, but, um, yeah, she's great in it and also Lori Petty's in it and I love her 
Oh my God, Tank Girl. Yes. 4L. So if you guys haven't watched it and you're looking for something to watch in this horrible early springtime when it was 75 degrees last week and now it's 21 degrees, um, I recommend it. That's a good recommendation, but I will say that I cannot watch anything about an apocalypse because I think the reason is that I have no survival instinct. So like seeing other people being like, we got to get to higher ground, like come with me, like we'll hide in here. I'm like, this isn't for me. I would not do this. I would just be like, take me, like bury me with it. I don't want to live in a world where I can't like drink coffee and watch Seinfeld. And maybe that makes me seem like a prima donna and maybe that's true but that's just that's my that's me living my truth you're like a pre before madonna type of person like a, a 70s exactly. person <laughs> yes exactly yes exactly that's exactly right i'm pre-madonna whatever her last name <laughs> that's funny huh I'm that's funny. good joking i'm making a joking um, wow you made a joking that's funny joking okay so we decided to do baking because yeah, I'm just not really at the top of my creativity right now, so suck it. Um, oh, baking. I thought we were doing bacon. Oh, well, that's good. After we did the pig episode, we're just doing regular bacon. I'm doing Kev, the six degrees of Kevin Bacon. <laughs> yeah, finally it will be explained. I'm doing the six degrees of Kevin Baking. <laughs> Kevin from Home Alone? Does he bake in there? It's like Kevin Costner, Kevin from Home Alone, like Kevin Hart. Well, just tracing about all the things they bake. Here's a good segue. If Kevin had an easy bake oven in Home Alone, he would be able to do some baking because eight years old is the youngest you can possibly be in order to use my topic today, the easy bake oven. Nice one. Thank you. Um, so yes, easy bake oven. Did you have one? Uh, yeah, I did. I, I did too. Obviously, I'm a chef. Yes, <laughs> obviously. How is, I mean, that's an requirement, right? All chefs had an easy bake oven. Um, yeah, so we had one. I don't really remember much about it. A lot of things have been published about it, about how the cakes that would come out of it would be disgusting. But, like, if you're, like, eight, you just, like, are excited that you're eating a cake. You don't really care what it tastes like. Totally. Um, so, yes. So the easy bake oven is actually not that interesting, but I'm going to try to make it as interesting as possible. Okay, people, bear with us. You're getting a lesson. <clears throat> and uh, um, So basically, even in the 1800s, there were tiny working child-size ovens, but they would usually be <laughs> um, with, like, coal, you know, like... What? 1800s ovens. But they were, like, store models, apparently. So they would have them as, like, displays inside of a store, just, like, showing you, I guess, like, a tiny little version of the oven they want you to buy. Um, But they were literally the size of children's things. Um, And in the 1950s, there were these fiberglass insulated ovens that would heat up enough to cook stuff. They were called the Little Lady, the Little Chef, and Susie Homemaker. My favorite one. So um, cute. <laughs> but the one that we all pretty much know about today, except for ghosts who remember the ones from the 50s, um, <laughs> was made by a toy company called Kenner. Um, and their whole thing, which sounds pretty interesting. I bet they, well, I do know for a fact, they no longer exist. But um, 
their whole thing was like having innovative toys and not just like making crap. So they wanted things mm-hmm. that were actually like working versions of like grown up stuff. Um, sure. And they would have like a whole team of people that were just like coming up with crazy innovative ideas. Um, and so as a result, there's no like one person who necessarily probably invented this thing. Um, it was like a bunch of people working on a kind of like collection of ideas, but Norman Shapiro is credited with the guy. He was basically like saw pretzel making machines, which rely on light bulb heat. And he was like, I want to make a pretzel machine for children. And they were like, sure. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then they wanted to basically recreate the adult experience of cooking, but with kid items like cake and cookies, because kids hate non-cake and cookies, as we all know. Um, You can't just be like braising short ribs in the (laughs) easy bake oven. (laughs) Um, So they decided to go with the light bulb element, which I guess is what people also use in a toaster oven. I did not know that. I did not know that the Hmm. easy bake oven was essentially a toaster oven. Um, So, but yeah, they use a light bulb because, you know, they're marketing this to children. So they're like, don't give your kid a real oven because it'll burn itself or set the house on fire. This simple light bulb is extremely safe, but the light bulb did get up to 350 degrees inside. Oh my God. So so it wasn't like, I don't know. It doesn't, I mean, it was all enclosed, I guess, but I'm like, that's really hot. And also it's so hot. Who amongst us hasn't burned the shit out of their hand on a light bulb? I have, it hurts. Of course, that's too hot for little tiny hands. I'm assuming you're going to tell us about something like, fires that were started with this are no you? there weren't any no one has ever harmed none zero fires oh, i don't know nobody were, they must have been they're probably all swept under the rug um yeah covered up by big easy bake oven they struck it from the record um they originally wanted to call it the safety bake oven um and this is 1963 so it's very interesting to me that in 1963 the National Association of Broadcasters said, you can't call it the safety bake oven because it has no proven safety record. Right. I didn't even know people cared about safety in 1963. They're like the entire National Association of Broadcasters are in a room smoking cigarettes and talking about how there's no safety, proven safety record for this. <laughs> right. And like going in their cars with no seatbelts or windshield wipers. Totally. And having a drink while they're driving around. <laughs> and they're drinking while pregnant. Um, yeah. So they decided they had to rebrand it to the Easy Bake Oven, but they added on that there were built-in safety features, which is true. So like the thing, I don't know if you remember, the ones, I mean, I probably had the 80s version, but the 60s version didn't even really look like a stove. It was just like a little, you put this cake mix into a little slot and then it's completely enclosed. You can see it baking in there and then it like shoots out the other side when it's done. So that you're not actually interacting with the, the hot part. I think it was hard to access um maybe even impossible but yeah so there were alleged built-in safety features who knows what they were um and they released it in 1963 in november just in time for christmas shopping season they made 500,000 of them and they sold out literally immediately people were fighting each other in the stores to get their hands oh on God. one um and they said that part of the reason that it was so successful is because most activity toys at the time were for boys. So finally, there was an activity toy for chicks, um, even though it reinforced that they should keep all of their activities in the kitchen. 
still, totally. if you're going to be Love active, it. you should be active in a productive <clears throat> kitcheny way. Yeah, be active <laughs> baking something or cleaning something. I miss those days of like like fist fights at toy stores though like you got to something that we really lost right with the rise of technology a good old-fashioned like you know trampling yeah nobody's fighting each other at the amazon store to get something maybe healthcare. oh yeah that would be nice um that yeah so and it also reminds me of that movie what is it with arnold schwarzenegger and sinbad where they jingle all the way yeah that's like that wouldn't even happen now we've lost so much America great again (laughs) (laughs) um so people they the way that the cake mixes were packaged um made it so that the cake mix would actually last for two years they were in laminated aluminum foil um but they say that if you are buying a vintage version of this you should not use the original cake mix because it's going to be disgusting um because I guess there's a market for the vintage ones on ebay um and in 1967, Betty Crocker got involved and they did like a cross collaboration so that Betty Crocker actually made all of the cake mixes, including Rainbow Chip, which I did not know Rainbow Chip existed in 1967. I thought it was like a 2000s invention. Right. Um, it was made with like real paint chips though. Yes, literally. I mean, the one I remember, the frosting was made with like wax pieces or something, but I still <laughs> loved it so much. Um, Safety wax. Yes. Um, so as I said, Kenner, the innovative toy company could not withstand the power of capitalism. So Hasbro took over in the nineties. Um, at that point you could have, you could make a pizza hut pizza in your oven. You could make a, my My little pony cake. You could make a Scooby-Doo cake. You could decorate your cakes. Um, then in 2003, a dude started talking to all of the famous, just like the height of famous chefs, world famous chefs. Um, and he made a little recipe book talking to all of them, including Bobby Flay, and asked them to create recipes for Easy Bake Ovens. Bobby Flay is a huge fan of the Easy Bake Oven, allegedly. Um, That's amazing. He made like a blue corn tortilla with like red pepper puree. <laughs> no, they did like a wild mushroom flan a ham, and a ham and spinach quiche in your Easy Bake Oven. That's pretty cool. <laughs> Good job, Bobby Flay. Um, so originally, the um, the Easy Bake Oven was obviously sort of chick marketed, but they they did market it to both boys and girls. Um, obviously, mostly girls were using it, um, but it was allegedly for both. Uh, and, but they thought they needed to go even more into the boy area. So they, in two thousand two, they came up with the Queasy Bake Oven for boys because boys like gross stuff. So you what? could, in your Easy Bake Oven, make mud and crud, worms and bugs. Crud? <laughs> What's the di- what is crud anyway? It's similar to mud, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody please call into the show. Listener, please give us a report. What does crud mean to you? Yeah, what does it mean to you? It just rhymes with mud, I think is it. So, and then sure. you could make drooly dog bones or delicious dirt. And all of these were, of course, just the same old cake mixes that the chicks were using um but they were marketed to gross people uh <laughs> um but by 2012 they were back to pink and purple and mostly had only little girls on the boxes and so a little girl herself wrote a letter campaign to have them make gender neutral easy bake ovens which they did they made them black so that 
anyone can have one regardless of their gender. <laughs> Great. Um, and yeah, those are the ones on the shelves today. There's also a purple version, but the ones that you buy now are black or purple, um, nice. gender neutral, still kind of gross, apparently what the things they're making. Um, but yeah, that's the, the easy bake oven history. Wow. That is amazing. I like was kind of compelled while you were talking about this to think about a challenge of like only baking food in your easy bake oven for that's like a, a whole week. Yeah. <laughs> I bet there's a YouTube I feel video. Like, I have a lot of regret. <laughs> I wish we had done this podcast earlier because I would have made that my grub street diet. I'd be like, well, this week I'm only going to cook food in my easy bake oven. <laughs> teeny tiny lasagna i'll make all the food for the pop-up in the easy bake oven mm -hmm. small so the grocery dryer always has like a drawing of the person right so who's gonna draw mm -hmm. do you have to send them in a likeness of yourself for them to draw i did i sent in some reference photos and you know the thing about the drawing for a grub street diet they're so fun i love them but they do make everyone look kind of like unattractive so mm -hmm. i'm just preparing myself mentally for yeah how heinous <laughs> I'm going to look. You don't want to put but, that on your Tinder profile, probably. Yeah, exactly. Um, okay, cool. Should we take a quick break? And we will be back with some more riveting baking content. Hold on to your butts. This episode is brought to you by Roberta's, home of Heritage Radio Network for 10 years. Roberta's was founded in Bushwick in 2008 and has become one of the most iconic restaurants in the country. HRN made its home inside of Roberta's in 2009, and together they have become part of the DIY fabric of the neighborhood. Roberta's, the pizza restaurant, is open for lunch and dinner seven days a week and serves much more than just the famous wood-fired pizzas. Their team dreams up new salads, pastas, and sandwiches on the regular. Roberta's Tiki Bar is alive and well in the back garden, serving up frozen drinks in the summer and hot toddies in the winter. Stop by the bakery and takeout spot next door for fresh breads, sticky buns, and pizzas to go. But Roberta's also extends beyond Bushwick, with multiple locations in New York City and now in Los Angeles. You can also find their frozen pies in grocery stores around the country. The spirit of Roberta's, like Heritage Radio Network, is everywhere. Here's to many more years of pizza-powered radio. Learn more about Roberta's at robertaspizza.com. <laughs> We're back. That was me gargling. Yes, it um, was. Oh, wait, Sarah, before we get into this, I forgot something very important yes. to talk about. Um, I have Girl Scout cookies right now. I'm eating them. Here, this is the dosey dose. right? Oh, yeah, the dosey dough is nice. Yeah, that's the peanut butter sandwich cookie, in case anyone's not familiar um, but so when we were ordering these at work, there was, there's new, there's new Girl Scout cookies out there. And Oh my God, really? Yeah. So then one of them is called like lemonade or lemon up. I can't remember. There's two lemon ones. One's lemon up, one's lemonade. I can't remember which is which, but I, the le lemon, the one that I wanted was like a lemon sandwich cookie, which is like my favorite kind of a grandma cookie, you know? Yeah. Um, and so the person who was placing the order a lot of us got the lemon sandwich cookies, which we're very excited about. There's also something called raspberry rallies, but I don't care about them, but that's also sort of involved in this story. Um, and so she texted some people that had ordered them, but not everyone. I don't know if it's because she doesn't have an iPhone. I don't know what the hell happened, but she only texted a couple of people and 
the rest of us substituted the lemonade sandwich cookies for just like a plain lemon wafer cookie. <laughs> like, yeah, like the body of Christ, but make it lemony. Yes. And so I was like, this is not what I want. And she's like, well, you can't actually get those lemonade sandwich cookies here. It's like, they're not real. And I'm like, yes, they are. They're on the Girl Scout website. So her interpretation of them not actually existing was it just that they're literally sold out in like the state of Indiana, <laughs> along with the raspberry rallies. Like you cannot find them anywhere in the state. You can't get them on the website. You can't do anything. They are so, they're like the easy bake oven the first year that it was released. And I am furious with rage, but I got really mad at her. And so she traded me her, the, the chocolate covered peanut butter ones. I can't remember what those are called. Those are good. The tagalongs? Yeah, the tagalongs. So I have two peanut butter versions of Girl Scout cookies right now and no lemon wafers, which I heard from other people are terrible. <laughs> wow. Well, that is quite the story. I know. I it's know very exciting. you survived that. I know. Honestly. It was a big mess. Um, yeah, that sounds like a, a debacle almost, mm-hmm. actually. Maybe definitely more than a kerfuffle. Yeah. Um, I feel like this is a really good opportunity for our devoted listeners to go out there, find the lemonade sandwich cookies Mm -hmm. and send them to Nicole. We'll put her home address on our Instagram. And my social security number just in case. Yeah. Or or just like your banking information in case maybe they just want to like give you the money to like go ahead and find them. Oh yeah. Like when people are like, it's my birthday. Here's my Venmo. Yes, exactly. Great. Exactly. Okay, great. So folks, uh, I'm sorry to break your hearts, but I was just kidding about the six degrees of Kevin baking. (laughs) Although I do think that's very funny. And I hope somebody takes that and runs with it who can do a better job than I. Than I. Um, Then I I am going to tell you something that I know you've all been dying to hear about. We've gotten a lot of um, like paper letters, uh, lots of emails, text messages, carrier pigeons to the show saying, Mm -hmm. Zara, when are you going to talk about the wild and crazy history of baking powder? Yeah, and people have been really, I feel like we've lost millions of listeners because we just haven't been able to find the right time to talk about it. You know, it is a very volatile subject. Of course, people have a lot of feelings about baking powder. And so we've been nervous to broach the subject. However, <laughs> today's the day. We're taking the leap. So I've gotten 100% of my information from an article called, you guessed it, The Wild and Crazy History of Baking Powder. <laughs> the ongoing war over everybody's favorite leavening agent. <laughs> it's not my favorite. No, it's nor is it mine. And uh, my source today is uh, myrecipes.com mm. in an article by Shelby Pope, my favorite baking powder writer. She is pretty good. So Shelby says, she starts off by just letting us know a little bit about the importance of baking powder. She says, baking powder was a life-changing product for American women because uh, if you were a woman in early America, your, quote, your worth was tied to the quality of your bread. Is that true? I mean, apparently. Is it still true? I hope not. Um, Because I left a bread dough out the other night at a (laughs) pop-up. And completely ruined it. And it was absolutely inedible the next day. We, we baked it just for fun, but it was essentially just like a bowling ball. <laughs> um, so uh, this woman named Linda Citavello wrote a book called Baking Powder Wars, the cutthroat food fight that revolutionized cooking. So intense, right? Yes, very intense. Um, so Linda says, uh, quote, women had these terrible pressures on them to make bread. 
You're not a good woman, not a good mother, not a good wife if you're not good at making bread. Is this true? That's what I'm like, saying. That's what so I'm spraying. How can everyone, that be? I mean, there's no way that everyone was good at making bread. I guess if you just did it all the time, because it's not actually that hard, is it? Nobody knows for sure. No, it's not. It, it was daunting to me for years and years, but no, it's actually really not that hard. But like, this seems like a lot of pressure to put on people for just like something as simple as making You're bread. Like, you are you know a, I mean? a bad mother because you don't know how to make bread. Fine. I'll take it. Right. And like, obviously, uh, this type of like messaging has carried through in a variety of different ways in like what we think stereotypical women are meant to act like even in today's world yeah you know I think like some of these kind of like really outdated feelings about women and their worth and what they're meant to do like you know still carry on also I would say you're a bad mother if you are making bread because it takes so much time so shouldn't you be devoting that time to like your children your 85 children that you have who's like the 1800s Right, exactly. Like watching them, making sure they're not like baking uh, baked Alaska in there. Well, I guess you don't bake a baked Alaska in a little <laughs> oven, but still, you know what I mean? Yes. The point indoors. Their child side coal heated oven. Exactly. So this author says, desperate for a leavening agent less finicky than yeast. These women turn to their medicine cabinets, which like thinking about this, like why? Why would you turn to the medicine cabinet? What about like the medicine cabinet screams, this will be good in bread, right? Yeah. Also, I didn't know that they replaced yeast with baking soda. I don't. And also, why was baking soda in their medicine cabinet? Baking powder. Oh, baking powder. Whatever. Baking powder. We're talking about baking powder. Um, It wasn't. Is there even a difference? There is. But I I think that baking, I'm going to have to look this up, but baking powder and baking soda are essentially the same. Just one has like another little thing added to it. I can't remember what that is. Yeah. One of them you can make out of the other one if you don't have it, but I don't. Exactly. So they added smelling salts to their baked goods. They tried adding ammonia, but it's made all the bread smell like pee. Sure. And then in the 1700s, women discovered pearlash that was made from burnt plant materials, and they like found out that that could leaven the food. Again, I just don't understand exactly why they were like using chemicals in the medicine cabinet instead. I don't know. It seems strange, but here we are. Mm. Um, Pearlash simplified life and ushered in a new kind of like, you know, American baking renaissance, like things that are distinctly American, like muffins and, and cookies and stuff like that. <laughs> yes. And top, muffin tops. Muffin this tops. is where the muffin top craze began. Amazing. Um, so this professor from Harvard, Eben Halsford, developed the first baking powder out of um, monocalcium phosphate and he patented it and uh, he made it out of powdered mutton and beef bones. Okay, so I'm like, was it made out of bones? Okay, great. He combined it. Now this answers our question. This is where I heard this. He combined it with baking soda, producing the first leavener available in stores. Hmm. What motivated him to do this? His wife was probably shitty at making bread. <laughs> yeah, he's like, if this bitch doesn't make a good bread, she's going to be out on the street. And I'll try anything. <laughs> so anyway, he starts Rumsford rumford baking powder mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden there's like a lot of competition from you guessed it folks royal baking powder now royal oh. baking powder is a real evil empire is it made um, by the actual royalty yes exactly it's made by the royal family now we all were meant to think that not only do these people not have last names but they also don't work when that's not true <laughs> they started royal baking powder no i'm just kidding 
JK, Royal was willing to resort to vicious tactics to gain control of the market. Yes. So there was no regula- regulation in like government really. So they put aluminum in their baking powders. Nice. Um, and they poisoned their customers. Sounds great. Yeah. Um, companies kind of like pushed back with like their own kind of like weird advertisements because Royal had like um Royal said that like aluminum was the reason why women are nervous, <laughs> which I don't even understand what that really means. But so that they wanted to make them more nervous? Yeah, they're like get more nervous and have we need all these women to be nervous, so nervous that they won't be good at baking bread that they never stop trying. Maybe like they meant that they're aluminum deficient. Like they don't have enough aluminum in their bodies. And that's why they're nervous. Right. <laughs> that could be. Yeah. That's probably it. Okay. So Royal offers a thousand dollars to any customer that could prove their baking powder was altered. Um, and they produce trading cards referencing the delicious meals made with baking powder and how much it's like it's saved. One of them, this is very awful obviously um one of these trading cards uh was extremely racist and compared baking powder's efficiency to having your own enslaved person oh no yeah so anyway by the late 1800s um americans are consuming 120 million pounds of baking powder every year which sounds like a lot especially because it's full of aluminum Exactly. It's very weird. And actually, you know what? It's not aluminum. I'm saying it wrong. I'm sorry. I'm going to have to do a retraction here. <laughs> it is not aluminum. It's alum. Oh, okay. Alum? Like an alum from a college? <laughs> like an alumni. It was full of ground up alumni bones. So alums probably do make women nervous because they're not allowed to go to college. They feel like inadequate. <laughs> That's true. Just like taunting everyone. <laughs> um, they uh, loved... <clears throat> Uh, baking powder so much these 1800s fuckers that they missionaries would go around to like Native American reservations and like push baking powder on them which just like why you know what I mean (laughs) haven't you done enough you have to like make these people eat like poison baking powder it's like so (laughs) fucked but also like can you replace yeast in a bread recipe with baking powder that's why I don't understand like no you can't so how is it even helping anyone (laughs) Well, they're both le- they're both leaveners, right? So here here's like a thing. Maybe it's not for bread, okay. But I guess like you don't want to like. I mean, it's easier to use baking powder in a cookie, right? Than yeast, totally, right? So I'm I'm thinking that's why for like quick breads and cookies. In 1899, the Missouri State Legislature bans the use of alum. What the fuck is alum? That's why I was saying aluminum. I thought it was a misprint. I was no. like, what is alum? I don't know. Some chemical. It's probably on the periodic table. Okay, great. So anyway, um, big baking powder starts bribing senators to like repeal this law and the regulation around baking powder. I love it. But there's a muckraking journalist in uh, in the mix here, and royal funded advertisements. The public found out about like through. Okay, they didn't rely on the advertisements like the muckraker and muckraker, and they're like, you know what? We're going to do our own investigation, and the public finds out about the bribery. And um, the law is repealed in 1905, but Royal um, persists fighting new competitors like Calamite, whose baking powder is made up of ground-up aluminum. This is now makes sense. Ground-up aluminum cooking utensils. What? Yeah. They ground-up aluminum cooking utensils and sold it as a food product? 
Exactly. <laughs> and and ca- a clabber girl who the KKK targeted for being owned by German Catholic family. Uh, did the KKK was not into German people or Catholics? probably Catholics or both? Okay, maybe um, I think I, the ca- the Catholic thing might have been the part they didn't like. I no, no don't really understand religion. Um. So anyway, the baking powder wars end in 1820 when the companies are folded into large conglomerates. And today, Clabber Girl is like the leader in the market, which I've never even seen this brand. I think um, I have seen it. Is that like a white label? I have no idea. I don't know. I've only ever seen like Rumsford and like like Arm and Hammer. Um, yeah. The once powerful Royal is not really much of a competitor anymore. And the what the issue of the baking powder wars really raised was like how much chemicals are in our food, which like, as we know from past episodes and like research that like, as we go along during the FDR years, there is some more like stringent regulation, like, you know, uh, in terms of what can be put into food. And then, you know, your favorite president Nixon, there's even more, but uh, at this point it's pretty sketchy. Yeah. They're just like putting like literal sporks and knives into a <laughs> grinder and they're like, hey, put this in your cake. Like, there couldn't be a better way. You'd rather put a ground-up knife into your, like, cupcake than yeast? How also, could it be? an aluminum knife doesn't even seem like an ideal knife to me, but I don't mm. know what it was like in the 1800s, so what do I know? Everything is real fucked up back then. But, <laughs> so, yeah, that's the riveting history of baking powder. I know you guys have all been waiting for it, and here it is. Um, <laughs> drink it in. Not too much. It's made of forks. Um, what is it made out of now? Nobody knows. It's not okay. Yeah, nobody knows what it's made of. There was no way to find out. Okay. Um, what do you think for our top three? Should we do top three favorite baked goods? Okay. You have to go first then. Okay, great. Um, I think my number three favorite baked good. Now, do we can okay. Do we consider bread a baked good or are we talking just pastries, like sweet? I think all the things that are baked. All things that are baked count as baked goods. Okay, I'm going to go brownie, number three. Love Mm. a good brownie with a crackly top. Number two, chocolate chip cookie. And number one is kind of fringe, but I really love it. And it features my favorite ingredient and yours, baking powder, the scone, but only if it's good. (laughs) Yeah, scone 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 is easy to find. Horribly wrong, yeah. You can just never tell if it's going to be good. And then also, I'm like, I don't want a scone i want to have a biscuit or a muffin but not I both love of them a scone. And i know you do i um, love a scone and i want to give a quick shout out to poppy's over here on degrasse street in carroll gardens best scone i've ever had well you can put that in your grocery diet so um <laughs> do you receive money from the restaurants that you mentioned in your grocery diet yeah everybody pays me a thousand dollars and then that's the only reason i'm gonna go there it's like really just for profit i'm being bribed i don't even like any of these places at amazing all. um well my favorite baked good is baked alaska um Sick, bro and oh wait my least favorite is baked apples i don't want to eat a baked apple i don't want to eat a baked pear either okay so don't fucking serve that shit to me at your house fair enough or i do i'm very polite i'll just quietly eat it um and then I also like to, I do like chocolate chip cookies. Oh, well, any, I like snickerdoodles actually, which uses cream of tartare. Is that a leavening agent? Mm, no, 
I don't a binder, know. I think, more, right? Because the stabilizer, it stabilizes, like, egg whites. I don't know. Maybe yeah, that's what it is. I don't know why Snickers Doodles have to have cream of tartar in it, um, but it's annoying because I never have it, and I can never just randomly make Snickerdoodles whenever I want. Hmm. I know. My life is so hard. That's rude. <laughs> Sorry um, for your loss. Yeah, and what I've been doing recently, which is totally weird, not weird, but it's not really what you would think of as a baked good, but I've been baking tortilla chips so I take you know my little corn Mm. tortillas and cut them into cute triangles and make baked tortilla chips out of them and they're delicious that's a great idea you know what I do with a tortilla that this is another like eating behavior of mine that you're only going to hear on the pod actually I'll probably put this in my Grub Street diet I get tortillas usually the Hermosa Mm -hmm. tortillas if I can find them the flour ones they're so good and I tear off a little piece and I burn it a little bit over the, um, over my range, on my range. Mm-hmm. And then I put a little bit of butter on it. That's, I, you and butter have an <laughs> interesting relationship, which I was aware <laughs> of before. I didn't know it involved tortilla chips, but I didn't yeah, know any tortilla. sometimes you'll just put a spoon in there too and just eat some butter. Mmm, I love butter. Folks, this was a really <laughs> exciting episode. Turn Tune in next week for part two of baking. Just kidding. I could barely find something to talk about. Nicole's like, let's do baking. I'm like, great, this is going to be so easy. I was like, this is so fucking boring. I was going to do like Entenmann's. I was like, I can't find anything. I know. Any, like... Well, I tried to find something too. I'm like, the Eat to Bake Oven is not interesting. You're welcome, people, for how much we care about you. Um, <laughs> and I just I like to pick a large, broad topic because then we can literally talk about anything. I was literally Googling like, crazy baking history me too (laughs) exclamation point they're like nope (laughs) there is nothing (laughs) that's why next week we're finally going to get around to my topic that i've been wanting to do forever world war one yes finally we're We're doing it getting back into the wars (laughs) if you're just joining us if you're new here because maybe you heard about the show on grub street diet next week you can look forward to world war one and then the hundred years war (laughs) And if you have any of your own favorite wars you would like to, maybe like the Crimean War, like a, a more obscure war that we might not know sure. about, submit them. Fringe wars. Yeah, fringe wars. Um, we're going to do them topic. all. Yeah. Next week on Life's a Banquet, a food podcast on Heritage Radio, fringe wars. <laughs> and you. <laughs> <laughs> all right. We love you guys. Thanks for tuning in. Hasta la pasta. Bye. Life's a Banquet is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.